0: You're listening to the Book Talk Today podcast, a podcast that inspires readers to obtain valuable insights to inform, educate, and improve lives. My name is Orn Abdi. I'm an avid reader, best known for the creation of the One Minute Book Review community, and I'm sitting down with authors to delve deeper into the books they have written to uncover the story behind the story. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, it's it's nice having a unique name, but then sometimes people just absolutely totally. butcher it. They totally butcher it, And then mine's the worst. And it's one syllable as well. I know. So at least yeah. yours is two syllables.
1: Like, how can they get it wrong? I know. It's <laughs> me, you know? But like, you know, in, in a German-speaking country like, like Austria, it's like Ran- ra- Rania, Rania. Like, it's a complete confusion. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. It's nice sometimes to have a unique name, but it does come with a burden.
1: It does. <laughs> it
0: does. How are you?
1: I'm good. It's nice to
0: meet you. It's nice to meet you too. So, what we'll do is uh, I'll do like a little introduction. Okay. And then we'll we'll get we'll get into it straight away. Um planning to do about an hour, if that's okay. Okay, great. And uh, we'll go from there. I'll just ask you some questions, like your inspiration behind the book, and then obviously we'll talk about the book. Um yeah. <laughs> some some okay. some questions I have just so you can elaborate more on the book and just because I enjoyed reading it, and as someone who yeah, we'll, we'll get into it a bit more, but as someone who is like a millennial, it's interesting to hear from the other side how people totally. should should manage us, because we're <laughs> apparently, apparently hard to manage. So, first of all, thank you so much, um, everyone. This is Ranya Nehmer, the author of The Chameleon Leader, over here. Uh, she is a human resources specialist, international development practitioner, and doctor of business administration. So a lot of uh, good experience. And uh, in The Chameleon Leader, she talks about um, the importance of leading the uh, millennials in uh, the new age and the uh, changes in our world and how to lead them best. Um, Thank you very much for, for coming on. Thank you and, so uh, and yeah, I enjoyed reading The Community Leader. And uh, it's nice to get you here and ask you some questions on it. Uh, first of all, what was your inspiration behind writing the book?
1: Well, um, to be honest, the thing is, you know, I work in, a, in an organization where I work in HR. Um, and in HR, I do everything from recruitment and, and especially of young talent. And what I realized is over the years, especially the last years, um, maybe the last three to five years, is that we have had a completely different kind of caliber of, of, of employees coming in. And the way they were thinking and how they were behaving was very different to our current employees. And I'm in the public sector, so it's definitely more old school. Um, so, you know, after like a few months of being on board, they were already asking me about when they were going to get promoted and what are their training opportunities. And, you know, I, I really, I love this kind of excitement and passion. Um, but at the same time, it's completely unrealistic in our industry. I think in other industries, maybe it could be more like maybe more in the private sector or really in the startup world where, you know, when you put yourself, you can move up and shoot up, but, but in, in the public sector, it's really not. So yeah. Um, and that's really what started to get me thinking, actually, of, of how different our approaches are, because, you know, when I was that age and I was entering the workplace, I was really like a soldier, you know, more of a, like, do this, yeah, okay, sure, because I thought that's how that's how the world worked mm. you know, at the time. But now it's like, it's a very different, it's, a, it's actually a diff- very different feel. So this was... Really, this set the kind of the foundation um, for the book. So it really made me very interested in this area. And then, um, as I started the book actually, on the first page, you will see that um I have family over from the states, and I have a couple of cousins who are very um, you know they 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 are they're very uh, they talk a lot about you know what they think they deserve and the workplace and everything. and so, and actually, this conversation with them also started to give me a better idea of what they expect in the workplace and that's actually where the idea then started to to come from so it really was just started um quite by chance I wasn't intending to write a book actually but I started as an as in, as interest mm. and then it moved on to um okay let me just research this and let's see how how I mean what the results are
0: yeah it, did it end did it um when you completed it did it go as you had expected when you started it
1: Actually, I think, yes, because, you know, after, you know, I I started to speak to so many people then at that time um, about, uh, you know, their expectations of the workplace and whatnot. And I think the results were quite, um, quite what I expected in a way. Yeah. Maybe there was one thing that was a bit unexpected was the communication part, though. That really surprised me because I always thought that, you know, millennials are more focused on, you know, uh, like technological way of, of, of communicating, you know, and have your WhatsApp or an email or something. But actually, when most of them said that, no, they prefer in person, I think that was also really like, a, mm, okay, that was, that was a bit of a, you know, light bulb moment. But other than that, I have to say, it's pretty much what I expected.
0: It's interesting, because when I read that, and, you know, everyone kind of has this idea that millennials, like we spend all our time, you know, on Instagram and checking exactly. and, and, <laughs> and on the DMs and messaging each other. But okay. then, when it comes to the professional environment like myself, like I have public um, public sector experience, like I worked okay. for the civil service in the UK okay. and I appreciate face-to-face discussions in that environment more than I do yeah. in the casual environment. And in the book you touched upon like the idea that you know, we like to spend five minutes, you know, on Instagram in between work and and we, and yeah. we don't know where the boundary is between that. And it's very interesting for me as the communication aspect when it comes to the professional environment is so important, that face to face discussion, which probably most people don't understand. But when you were writing the book, and you're coming to understand these characteristics of millennials mm-hmm. that you didn't know previously, yeah. did you have these ideas about how they should be managed and how in some circumstances you were seeing people mismanaging them
1: uh, I mean plenty and I think that was also part of the inspiration for the book to be honest is, is because in the workplace. I noticed there was such a clash between for example Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say from my like I am actually what you would consider now exennial Like you know the in-between between the okay. between the millennials and the gen x okay one above um but but i think like the um, people who are much older actually they really um they had a whole different way of working um and i saw that in so many small things you know um things like work-life balance um you know the older generations they're more like no no this is our job we have nine to five this and that is the hours and you know when and, and and they didn't understand this whole concept of let's go really let's let's just it's about the productivity and not about the time that we spend in the office. So this was a completely alien kind of attitude for them. So it's small little things. And you know, especially in the interviews, when we're interviewing them, the panel, for example, was all the older generations and they're interviewing them and they're hearing, no, we, we want a flexible environment. We want this. And I, and already from that point, you could already see the clash. So obviously then when you recruit them, And if that's how you're thinking, then there is going to be a clash as you go along. So it it wasn't small details, actually, but it was very obvious.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think for for us going in, for instance, like with me, when I was going to my first job, that flexibility was so important. I think we we now see the ways of working, especially when you go through the university system and all that kind of stuff. Everything's so um, focused on the individual Uh, flexibility and the time when it comes to working so if you go from that structure into the working structure and then it's so rigid you kind of get this you don't get this feeling that you can show your best self and I think if what is the one characteristic that you see from managers that really hampers their ability to get the most out of their millennial workers
1: Honestly, I think that uh, one of the things that I see is, is, um, well, they just don't empower them at all. They feel like this is, you know, this is the hierarchical kind of mentality of like, I know, I say this is how things are done around here. So, you know, and I think this is really one of the biggest problems because in every organization, you know, you need to be able to change as you go along. I mean, if there's no change, an organization cannot survive. So... And and we say this all the time. They say this all the time. So why do they say it, but then they don't act it? Mm-hmm. So I see that on a daily basis sometimes, where it's like you know, small things where you can just empower somebody, um, and you can just say, you know what, I and not micromanage and not you know just say this is your task please deliver it and then give them constructive feedback not like Mm. oh my god this is terrible they don't know what they're doing or you Mm. know or feel threatened if they do it too well so yeah yeah that that, that's
0: that's the other side of it because i've seen that happen like i've seen in in previous jobs Um, not to myself but to others I mean they've produced like a really good piece of work and Mm -hmm. a manager or a colleague feels threatened and they actively go out their way to in a way sabotage that one individual and if that person is new they feel you know disheartened and they completely you know just feel disenfranchised from the organisation
1: Absolutely and you know the thing is the minute that this trust between, between two people especially in the workplace like your employer, employee between you and your boss The minute this trust is gone because you feel like, you know, they're really not supportive of you, I think it's really difficult to regain. And then it's just a matter of time until the whole working relationship and environment kind of um, goes down. And I think this is what leaders... especially like just normal managers sometimes they just don't understand like you know you don't get 20 chances to do it right um you you really have to try to do it right from the beginning and actually it's just a matter of communicating sometimes it's just easy it's just getting somebody in a room and saying listen you did it like this you did a good job there but you could do it better i think that was also the main thing is that i think a lot of millennials feel that they don't have the voice that they just don't have a voice because they're not being listened to Um, And they're not being heard. And I think this is something that also sometimes it just needs a coffee together um, to really understand some of the issues that they're facing, you know. So I think that's a small thing sometimes where where I think managers just fail.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Where do you think the balance is between allowing them to speak and the experience factor? Because that is also something that's really important is, yes, it's obviously great to listen to their feedback and some people may have you know great ideas starting off but at the same time is if you allow someone maybe too much freedom in the beginning they don't have the necessary experience let's say in a certain environment to maybe offer you know really good practical advice where is the balance between empowerment at the start and sort of allowing them to kind of go off on a tangent because for me that's really interesting as someone who wants to have the freedom to work but also understands that I'm new, I'm inexperienced, and I want to learn. Like, where is that
1: balance, like, in practice? I think that's a great question, actually. And, you know, I think that at the end of the day, in the workplace, it's all about delivering, right? It's all about delivering a piece of work or delivering quality or, or, um, you know, uh, finishing a project, or there is some kind of deliverable at the end of it. And I think at the end of the day, you're measured or you should be measured for that. So I think the balance is to, to, to really see how they are working. So you give somebody, uh, you empower somebody, um, and then you allow them to, to go and do, to go and, 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 and and do that job. But having said that, you know, there's deadlines, there is continuous communication, there's feedback along the way. And if you feel at any step and it, it's you know you can notice then as you go along if somebody is just you know in their own little world and just kind of you know feeling empowered and not producing or if somebody's really taking it seriously so i think at the end of the day it's like your quality and your work speaks for itself
0: mm. yeah at the end of the day that is kind of like the benchmark and it right. should really it should really be the benchmark isn't it it
1: should be yeah
0: um when I was reading the book and yeah. when you did the survey from for Young One World, it's really interesting actually. Because when I was reading it, my brother went to the one in oh. last year. Oh. Um, so he works for so BMW. What the Hague? Uh, where? No did, he the Hague? Go the Hague? Oh, no, did he go? did he go?
1: 2018
0: was the Hague. That's where I went. So yeah, where and I went. I, I, where, where where was the one? Was it
1: Munich last year? I think, or no, or oh, London? Maybe. No, it was, no, it was
0: London. London. I think it was London. London. I think it was yeah. Royal Albert Hall. I think
1: yeah, and I think it was they're celebrating their ten 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 year or something because I think they started it in London ten years ago. So well, that's great. Really. Yeah, so he
0: went to that. So when what I was when I say? was reading the book, oh, he loved it. Oh, yeah. He he was like it was amazing to be around people who had a vision that was greater than themselves and were really actively looking to change not only their community but the the environment and and the world in general. And when I was reading stories from people, I. I think it's really important for people to spend time around people like that. I think yeah. a lot of people perhaps spend time around people who are maybe not the best um, in setting those kind of agendas and, and that and that kind of mindset. When you were, did you were you the one who were actually asking them these questions or was this a survey that, you know, you did externally and then got the results from?
1: Um, I actually, this was mainly, it was actually two parts. Some of it was interview questions. So basically that, that you saw was um, I actually asked them and I, I, you know, I just took notes and whatnot. And the others was just a survey that I sent out. The thing is that, you know, people hate taking surveys. This is, I mean, this is the problem. And I noticed that after some time I used all my, my contacts, the people that I knew, I used all my channels and i mean i got maybe i think it was 300 or something but you know it was not enough for it so that's why that's when i decided to book this flight and go to the hague to the one young world because i thought okay there there's thousands of people mm. i had two friends with me each one with an ipad and i was like this is you know this is the best way now to get uh, responses and actually that's how we got like the other four or five like 300 or 350, mm. because, um, it's and, and that was the most interesting part, because you get to talk to the people, mm. and and then some of them go on a tangents because they yeah. get very excited about the yeah. talk, others, you can see, are like, so been there, done that, this is really boring, mm. you know, but either way, this was the best opportunity to really mix and mingle, and to get, you know, these kind of different perspectives.
0: What was the um, one commonality that you found between the people that you interviewed you or served? honestly,
1: that they all had something to say. Okay. They really all had something to say and they really, again, this is what's really about like wanting to be heard. Mm. And I felt like a lot of them in the workplace, actually, I didn't feel, they told me that a lot of them in the workplace, they... Um, They are still seen as all these these, these cute little, you know, they don't they don't know yet anything. They don't have the experience yet. And of course, I understand this part of our experience because that's so important. But also, I don't understand because, you know, when you start to dismiss people, then you're also dismissing like a large part of their confidence and and this hampers their ability to to, to uh, develop it as they go along and that's really I think one of the worst things you can do to people who are starting new in the workplace
0: I think that confidence uh, aspect is really important uh, it's so important. I think... and it's
1: so easy to lose it and it's so mm. easy to actually get it crushed from a very young age and then rebuilding that is like good luck <laughs>
0: it's the rebuilding that's really difficult because yeah. not only like you said it's that trust factor with the manager but it's also like an internal dialogue that you're facing with yourselves. because totally. when you get a new job you're kind of like oh my god I'm really excited about this new job and then the first thing you kind of get hit with a lack of confidence yeah. and and if that happens over and over again, yeah. it's it's really yeah. difficult.
1: And yeah. um, oh, yeah, you, you so. know, you you saw in the book there was one part where I and this is a really true story about my first experience when I joined and my boss was telling me about cutting and pasting and how she took my report and she whoop, like she literally yeah. cut it and pasted it and 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 was trying to explain to me that this is how I should do it and I couldn't believe it. Like I had studied, I had you know university and I was mm-hmm. I felt so like I could do everything and then this was what i was faced with so you know it, t- it took a long time to <laughs> to rebuild from that
0: yeah i i mean i had one situation in the previous job where i had someone who actively went out the way to give me misinformation oh, that's, that's just, that's which just is long. and and it's and it's one of those things it was a big learning curve for me because i was like i kind of thought back to myself I was like what in what situations did i allow that person to do it and i actually found myself in situations that i was allowing myself the opportunity okay. to get that person to do it. Okay. So I was, it was very thoughtful for me in, in that situation. I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I shouldn't do that. We're uh, strategizing. I was strategizing <laughs> afterwards because I think it's really important because those face-to-face meetings with a manager is really important. And it's mm-hmm. something that I found really important because I was on a grad scheme, my first job out of university. Okay. And I would have, I was on a rotational program. So sometimes oh. you'd have, for a year you'd have one manager and another time you'd have mm-hmm. another manager every year. And I found the good managers were the ones who, no matter how busy they were, they would take 15, 20 minutes to have a conversation with you face to face. And the bad ones were the ones that are like, oh, I've got this meeting, I have to delay it. Oh, this has come up, I need to do it. Um, Have you found through your personal experience Mm -hmm. as a in the field of of HR? Mm -hmm what is the one characteristic for being a good manager in the sense of the emotional intelligence? Cause you, we have in the, in the book, you talk about the different aspects to it, you know, the honesty and, and the communication mm-hmm. for me, it was the emotional intelligence part of it because you have so many different people in the workplace. Yep. How important is emotional intelligence? And you referenced Daniel Goleman and, 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 and him in the book. And I love his book, emotional mm-hmm. intelligence how important is it in practice?
1: Oh, I think, honestly, I think emotional intelligence is one of the most important things in practice, actually, if not the most important, because, um, you know, it's all about how you express yourself and how you um, talk to others and how you show empathy and how you connect with others. And at the end of the day, whether you're in HR or whether you're just a human being actually with any yes. other person this is this is the the main thing that we have to do we have to co- we have to connect with other human beings on whatever level personal professional and i think that the the ei part is so much more important than iq because you could know everything But actually, it's the delivery. If you don't deliver that in a way that, you know, that shows that you are listening, that you're empathetic, that you have all these qualities, then the the message will be lost. So I think that emotional intelligence is by far one of the most important things. And it's so underrated sometimes, you know. I think it's it's people still, they use it as a catchword. Oh, EI is so important. But I don't think that they really understand that. It, it, it's really this connection is the mo- it's a it's a make or break actually you know in, in every situation
0: do you think employers can do more to train managers to actively because some people are i mean you've probably met people and i've definitely met people who mm-hmm. it's a, a characteristic it's a human trait yeah. for them that they have this ability whereas others it's trained do you feel like companies need to do more to actively train managers to manage more effectively in that realm
1: yeah. Definitely, I think I think that is one of the main things that actually for a manager, that's what their main responsibility is. You know, I think as managers, of course, you need to have the technical expertise, but I think the minute that you are managing people, you really need to understand um, this whole how to manage people mm. and and i think that organizations definitely um actually the good thing is that i think a lot of them have realized the importance of ei which is why you know 10 years ago nobody was talking about emotional intelligence i mean mm. i mean i know daniel's book is, is already um way before that but mm. it wasn't like a catchword. now everything that you read on harvard business review mm. or all these articles all about you know emotional intelligence so yeah there is a momentum sorry i'm actually right. placed in a very <laughs> thing because i decided to rearrange my 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 living room of course during this corona time which is the worst mm. time because i couldn't get any furniture so i have to make shift <laughs> anyway but i think that a lot of um a lot of organizations are doing that now i uh, but i think that definitely more can be done and more should be done so training courses um all kinds of things honestly
0: Yeah, because I feel like there's so much emphasis on the individual starting to do so much training, but it gets to a point where there's not really training for managers. I mean, it's a skill, but they could be a manager for, let's say, 30, 40 years, but they've had no active training to actually do that in particular. And when I was observing as someone who is a millennial, I was like, well, I'm doing all this training to get the job and like doing training on the job, but there's no actual training on the other side. When when you are when you were writing this book and you were listening to these millennials and you were yeah. li- listening to everything that was saying and and you obviously had this experience of people who are managing people where do you think it's going to go with changes in the way of working changes in for instance you were saying how people like to have face-to-face contact but obviously in this environment there's not that much face-to-face content Mm as as there has been obviously for the last three months where do you think it's going with the balance between like working from home or remote working and actual that face-to-face contact
1: I think this last three months actually has been so really something that's really wild for the workplace in many ways. I mean, I can only say from my experience now, it is, um, I think it it's unfortunate what, of course, what has happened is, is crazy. But actually, in terms of uh, the future organization, a lot of organizations and companies now have realized that they do not need to be physically uh, present in an office. They can save costs from being at home, they can actually connect in every single way. Again, in, my, in, in where I work, we had never done remote working, ever. Mm. And I had tried to introduce this policy since years, and it was a no-go. Like, working from home, how can we trust our employees that they're actually working? Yeah. It was all of this, you know, way of thinking. But now that we've done that for three months, and they see that, oh, my God, everybody's still working, and everything's still running smoothly, I think this will change tremendously. Mm. Um, and, I, and that is going to be able to allow us to connect even more, I think, with millennial generations, because now we, we I understand them more. Mm-hmm. You know, when they want to work from home or flexi-time or flexi-time or work-life balance. I think everybody has seen the advantages of this now over the last month. So I think in that sense, it's much better for connecting and it's, it will help us balance uh, much more.
0: Yeah, going forward. I think um, interesting for me was like I have had jobs where I work from home and I've had jobs where mm-hmm. I've gone into the office. But I found myself at times actually missing the separation which was very interesting for me because I yeah. thought I thought you know working from home would be great you know I've I have in the past for previous jobs but not for this particular job yeah. but then I found myself I'm like I need sometimes I need that separation or I need that face to face contact because you get a lot more through I think sometimes when it when it is face to face rather than just online.
1: Oh, you're totally right and by the way we will never be able to in my opinion you can never ever replace the face to face i mean i think face to face we can all go virtual but sometimes you just need to have a chat with that person you need to be somewhere maybe just having a coffee somewhere or even in the office anything but and i think that over a screen you can get the job done but you know to establish these kind of relations mm. uh, these good relations that you have with colleagues or with other people it's not something you can you can maintain them now. You can maintain them over these virtual communication tools, but I think to create new contacts, I, I feel like you really need this face to face. And so, I mean, yeah, I think it's still a very important part of, of the workplace. Um, and yeah, but it's good to know that we can balance uh, on both virtual and this. And hopefully, yeah. now moving forward, we'll have the maybe more option to be able to do both
0: when you when you are writing the book when you are analyzing for instance organizations or managers who are managing effectively which organizations do you think are or which industries let's go which industries do you think manage their workforce better than others because you obviously you said that you work in the public sector do you yeah. feel like the public sector because i've obviously I have experience working in the public sector as well mm-hmm. and it is quite archaic in some of the things they do just yeah. by the nature of it just because you know there's systems that have been there and there's a lot of people which industries do you feel like treat uh, their millennials better in the sense of you know that that um, those principles that you talk about in the book are better than others
1: um, I mean, I don't want it to sound cliché or something, but I do think that those big uh, companies like the Googles, the the the, the Twitters, the, the the LinkedIn, the those, uh, you know, I think they really know how to do it well um, because they really understand. And actually, they're catered for this kind of generation. So I think I think they do this very well. But also, it doesn't have to be uh, to that extent. Um, a lot of just even I think definitely more private sector uh, focused um, in terms of industries per se. Honestly, I cannot tell exactly because I haven't studied all industries. Um, But I can definitely say that in the private sector, they're much more open to, I mean, I know people here who work at GE, who work at all of these companies where they all all have this work-life balance, this American mentality, which is really like, it's all about producing and it's Mm. all about meeting deadlines, but you can do it at your own time, Mm. you know? And I think this is something that most, like in the public sector, you don't have that. It's all about time. Mm. Whereas there, it's all about efficiency. And about delivering. Yeah. So I think this is a very big thing. But I think the startups they do it right because they don't focus on these structures. And you will see so many startups, of course, are uh, started now by millennials. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is the normal way of life now. And I think that they do it. They do it probably very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the traditional industries that are still a bit behind. They lag a little bit. Like all these international development institutions, I also work in one. As we said, public sector. Mm. I think these have a very, like, they they have a a lot of work to do Mm. (laughs) to get there
0: yeah but it's like an institutionalized thing isn't it it's something that will take years and years like in any government or public sector organization that you work for regardless of where it is or which country it is i mean it's it it takes years and years i mean you just have to look at any kind of project that gets delayed Mm -hmm. um
1: but you know in the uk they're so advanced actually in the uk i think they're very advanced with like work-life balance and things like that i think I, they I think, really
0: are yeah what what do you no. do you think you think in compared to other countries so i don't have any experience of other countries so i
1: do yeah compared to other countries because i mean i have uh you know because when i studied hr we i studied in london and then ever yeah. since and 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 so all my friends are all over and mm. um and i can see like in the different countries where they work and i know that my friends in, in london and, and generally in the uk they're much more advanced when it comes to like work life uh flexi time remote mm. working I think this, this, it's a it's different. It's a different ball game than in the rest of Europe.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. okay, where where do you where do you see that going then in in the rest of Europe? Do you think they just have to catch up to that? Is there like a system thing, or is it like an infrastructure when it comes to technology?
1: Honestly, I think the technology is kind of the technology is there. It's just about it's really a mentality and embracing it and 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 I think that some places, some companies are just not ready for that. And, um, okay or maybe they just don't want to change. But I do think it's just a matter, it's actually just a matter of time. And maybe what we've witnessed now over the last three months will be more of a, it will, will, you know, encourage people to move into this kind of directions. I mean, um,
0: I've I've read I've read case studies the last couple of months of companies that have refused to go digitally and they've basically oh, really? suffered for all that. Like you've had people or leaders that have refused to update their systems or they've been refusing for ten to fifteen years. But
1: and that then it comes stuff to... I don't understand, you know? I don't understand because it's like you're you're kind of you, you know why.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're kind of like, just shooting yourself in time. the foot. Yeah. <laughs> like... it's it's just part and parcel of it. You've got to update, you've got to update yeah. the system. Do you think um if we're gonna just flip on its head a bit do you feel like you do have some millennials and i've i've come across them you know in my interview processes and just general life that we are called somewhat the entitled generation but i have definitely come across some people who are entitled and um, how do people or managers go about those kind of people do they just have to say to them honestly like look you are new there is a level of experience that is required. How do they go about that? If we're going to say from a manager's perspective to someone who does come in thinking he is Mark Zuckerberg, you know, that kind of (laughs) stereotype.
1: Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about expectations. So I think when you come in, you have a certain expectation, right? And and entitled or not, um, you know, if you come in thinking, well, I'm going to change, I'm going to do everything. I think your manager is the one who has to, in a nice, a way which is filled with emotional intelligence mm. explain to you and really just kind of um make you understand that how this organization works it doesn't have to be you know again it can be said in a way that is very encouraging actually mm. to, to the millennial it really depends again how it's delivered how it's said but yes they do need to tell them and I think that is the problem because a lot of people don't like to have difficult conversations yeah, you know yeah. that's really that's what I've noticed Is if mm. everybody's happy to talk when somebody's doing well but when somebody's not doing well or not meeting expectations they're like oh, I'll discuss it later in the evaluation post at the end of the year so mm. you spend 8 months with on your to-do list oh must discuss this with with this person at the end of the month that's not right you know things have to be said and they should be mm-hmm. said straight away when they happen um, at least a, a couple of days because that's the only way to have this kind of you know continuous dialogue um, with and, and and really establish the trust so yes i think the manager it's one of it's their main responsibility to tell that person um and and yes, we've all seen this kind of entitled yeah. um, behavior and actually sometimes it's really annoying, I have to say, like, it can be really annoying, it can be really frustrating, but I think, you know, so what, I'm sure we all, I mean, we all have our different kinds of behaviors, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the only thing you have to do is just explain to them this is what you will expect this is how it's going to go down this is how your development your career development um, is going to progress over the next course of the whatever next year and I think as long as they have all the facts and the information I really think that it would be it, it, it could create a, a very encouraging and supportive environment
0: mm, definitely uh, on that point of recruiting I've, I've always had this thought and I've always been battling these, these thoughts is which one's more important. Is it the hiring side or is it like the firing side? Because I've always kind of, I'm, I'm of the mindset where it's more important on the firing side because, you know, you don't really know someone until they're in the office until they're going about their day to day. Like the interview process in my mind, it's a bit like, yeah, I mean, you can ask them these questions, the competency questions, but you don't actually see them in practice meeting the deadlines and all that kind of stuff. So I put an onus on you know, if someone's not fitting in, they can they can kind of go. What's your perspective on that? Do you think it's a it's a mix, or do you think there should be more on if someone's not performing straight away, they kind of need to have that evaluation straight away?
1: Um, honestly, I think that um, you know firing in, in in our industries is not one that we do a lot of actually because it's more of a you know stay in organisation for a long time. <laughs> But recently, um, we are actually becoming a bit more, uh, you know, uh, let's say efficient when it comes to these things. And to be honest, I think, okay, when somebody is not performing, um, okay, it's not like you're fighting straight away. This is something Mm. I'm totally against because Mm. you have to understand. You know, this is where, again, your manager needs to understand why you're not performing. You know, is it something personal? Is it something professional? Is it something that we can help you with? Because when somebody's not performing, you can, and and they don't know how to do their job, for example, then maybe you can offer some kind of, um, you know, training or help mm-hmm. them if you feel that they have potential. Um, if it's something personal, maybe you can also try to, you know, adapt or, you, you know, they have issues maybe you can help out in some ways uh, at the end of the day we're all human so there mm. has to be this kind of empathy around right mm. um and if somebody just really just doesn't want their job or doesn't like their job okay then that's a whole different um thing because then they really should leave but i think you should you should really give somebody the benefit of the doubt so you would have this conversation ideally i think you would have this conversation then you maybe you would give it another like three months where you would monitor progress you would you would really have proper. Um, you know, deadlines in place of what you expect to be done. If they're mm. met, if they're not met, why? And and that's what you do, maybe for three to six months. Mm. I think that that's quite fair. But I mean, less than six months, you cannot take action. I don't believe in and, and fire mm. somebody because if they're going through like some traumatic phase in their life, you can't really just fire them without understanding. Yeah, it's
0: them. a bit. That's a bit unfair, isn't it?
1: <laughs> that would be really unfair. That's unfair. I mean, you no. Know? So I think I think um, you need to you need to allow people to really. Uh, You need to understand first what what is what's the problem and then you have Mm. to
0: see if you can fix it. Yeah. In the book, you touched upon the fact that we as a generation want to change jobs. I mean, we when I started, we were encouraged to change jobs every two to three years. Mm -hmm. And you were just saying in the public sector, a lot of the people and I came across a lot of people who had Mm -hmm. been in the same, not even the same job, but the same
1: role probably.
0: role for like over 40 years <laughs> yeah. and you're thinking and I'm like wow I'm working with people I remember working at one organization where the average age was like way into its 40s and like I was one of the younger ones out of everyone and where does i mean we are encouraged to change jobs every two to three years mm-hmm. that's in my mind in my mind that's where it's good that's where it's going because that mm-hmm. sharing of information is really important mm-hmm. do you feel like there's still some companies who look down upon that and they want you to stay longer or do you think some are just encouraging people to go on you know
1: and, I do and, believe and get experience that, you know i do believe that in some companies they still look at cvs and they think who every two years every mm-hmm. three years that's a flight risk like you know um so some some companies really do that. I see that honestly, I see that quite a lot. So um, I see a lot of people looking at CVs and like, oh, somebody who hasn't held a job for more than three years in one place is not somebody we want to invest in or bring in. It is true that this is becoming definitely not maybe not the norm. Um, and I think moving along, I assume you know three to five years is probably going to be um, the average time. The thing is, I think like uh, changing jobs every two years. Again, it's a mentality thing. I'm not used to it either, you know. I've never had that. And when I look at CV sometimes too, I wonder, okay, two years here, two years here. But, you know, as somebody who's been in an organization for a long time, um, I can say sometimes I've only learned things after four or five years. Mm. So it's not like after two years, the le- learning curve ends. So, so this doesn't – never. it hardly ever happens. So if somebody cannot learn anything still after two years, I would be really, I would be surprised if they're leaving for other opportunities, that's fine. But if they say they're leaving because that's it, they couldn't learn anything anymore. This, I would question it. Mm. Because I believe that in every job you can still, you know, if you, if you have exhausted your own role, then you can still take on other things. You know, you can do, you can do things differently. You can innovate in many ways. So I think there's always a way to, to make that role more interesting. and
0: in, in Yeah yeah then someone just sort of going just because they feel like they've they've completed yeah, I, they've completed exactly, that like job years, <laughs> like i'm done yeah <laughs> on to the next one and um, when you were when you were writing this book if we're yeah. going to go take the the writer's hat yeah this being your first book what were some of the challenges that you faced um the
1: challenges i mean there's always so many challenges honestly yeah. um, i think um for me it was really trying to strike a balance between uh, a book that is that is light to read but one that has all the information in there. So you know, I mean leadership books in general in, in, in the past have, have been really very text heavy um, and very word heavy and I really... You know, I read them because it's good, you need to read these leadership books. But I have to say, I didn't so often enjoy reading them because I thought at some point that they lost me because it was all theory and theory and theory. And I love theory, I mean, I, I love theory. But I also think like in the workplace, this day and age, we need practice. So that's one of the flaws that I had in so many of the books that I read. So for me, the challenge of this writing, this book was really to kind of make it interesting and light to read mm. where you could just like pocketbook, like read it maybe in just a couple of days or something, but also to make it like informative and something that you can take away from, like when you do yeah. the self-assessment test or yeah. something, it's just, it just makes you think a little bit about your traits. I don't, I don't know if people actually did the self-assessment a- um, test, but it's just, it makes you think about yourself, you yeah. know? And I think that is interesting because at the end of the day, we really need to evaluate how we are as well as, as people, as managers, as leaders. Mm. So that was really the balance of the striking that
0: so. I think that's really important as well. just to mm-hmm. touch on upon like a lot of the people who follow me and follow my channel yeah. is they always ask me they're like how do how do I get the most out of a book? And I always think that I like the way at the end of you had that self-assessment where you can like write down your your flaws, your weaknesses, things that you want to work on, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I like books that are interactive. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes like you say, especially in this space, the, the leadership space they get really dry. Yeah. and there's also many models and 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 theories you can talk about before you kind of think, well, what is it in practice? What are some of your favorite leadership books?
1: Ooh, um, actually I have so many leadership books actually, but you know I, I actually now like the more lighter ones. like I love I love everything I like from Robin Sharma. I like. Yep. Um, you know his style his books um I also like um you know like the Simon Sinek books uh, mm. to a certain extent yeah. <laughs>
0: you know it's, it's funny you say that because um my brother he as a, as a family with the channel and stuff we were all starting to we we're all starting to read more and everything and yeah. he's like can you give me some sort of introductory book and I gave him start with why and he goes, and we forgot, we've we basically make a joke of it now, as saying like everything, like how he's in. He's like, yeah, I'm really good because I started with why kind of <laughs> thing. <laughs> but he was like, why does he say start with why all the time in that book? I and know. I'm like, and and like people in in the reviewer space look down upon that book because they think like it's too simplistic. And I I empathise with that, but it's he obviously was trying to cater to a larger market and it's yeah. uh, and it, when you do read it you kind of feel like it's a bit simplistic you know, I, way, but... you know i
1: have to say like his 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 youtube um you know i mean you know i think i don't know if it was a tech talk or whatever but the one that he did where he was basically saying how millennials are so entitled and the parenting and all of that and i, have to, I showed it to a lot of people like millennials they couldn't stand him they, mm-hmm. then none of them could stand him actually they were like what he's also the way that he delivers and i have to say after that I really look at him differently because the way that he was saying it was so arrogant, also. So anyway, let's put that aside. But you know, one book <laughs> that I love actually is yeah. Bill Jackson, is the the basketball the basketballs st- um, coach of the of the Chicago Bulls. He has this uh, book called Eleven Rings, okay. and, and 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 that's amazing. I used to love basketball, so I was totally into that uh, style. And his his book. It's actually not a traditional leadership book, but it's a really good leadership book because, you know, he, he talks about bringing in all of these crazy personalities at the time, you know, like these 90, 90s um, basketball stars, Michael Jordan, like all of them, and they all have crazy, um, you know, egos and personalities and how he made them work together. And I think this is such a good book for, for you know, teamwork and leadership. So I kind of like these books a lot, I, I much more than... Um, some of the ones that I think people are always raving about. I don't know. Like I, I like this. I also like a lot of the Richard Branson books. I, I like Richard Branson. Okay. I like his. I like his books. So
0: you like like the practical people who have kind of gone through it and they talk about it as opposed to people who talk about the theory side of it.
1: I do. Yeah, I do. That's because, you know, also because as somebody who also has a doctorate, I understand like the PhD part, which is all about the theories. I I, I love the theory part. But then I also, uh, you know, that's one thing. But when you work in a a workplace, you need to also have the practice. Otherwise, the theory is not going to, it's not going to cut it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You need that, that, um, that learn from experience, the people Mm -hmm. who've gone through it, obviously, because you can read as much theory as you want. But if you don't actually learn from people Mm. who put into practice and it's it's a bit like you kind of just overwhelmed the theory you're like what am I going to do with all this theory because like I always talk to people like you have to find ways to implement the things that you read but Mm. if you've got 85 theories you need to do you're like how do I actually practically implement that because that that's why I love like the book, I don't know if you've read it, like Atomic Habits by James oh, Clear. that's
1: actually on my list now too, I just bought it so... Yeah,
0: like that's why I love that book because you have like The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg which yes. talks about the scientific aspects of habit formation, okay. but after that you're like well h- how do I do it,
1: okay. like
0: oh but then that's Atomic Habits, topic, okay, Atomic good. Habits I'm... develops it and they kind of talks about how you can implement it into your life and okay. he talks about how The Power of Habit helped him write that book and... Hmm. It's really it's, it's really interesting you should definitely read it you should okay, definitely cool. read it.
1: you know one book by the way that I really got into right now I mean is Mark Manson is his, uh... yeah
0: yeah yeah. the first <laughs> one or the second one
1: actually I like the first one more yeah the, the, uh, you know not the not the one about hope the second one I like yeah the, yeah. The, yeah I thought that was really interesting and I, I like his um, I think the second one is a bit repetition of the first actually. Yeah but um it's
0: something that happens though when you I think when you write a book that is as popular as the first one you're kind of almost entitled to kind of remain in that same space because you know you want to sell it don't you so um but yeah that's um it's it's I like the the honesty I think sometimes I think I feel sometimes when you read an author there's some sort of bravitas to it where they're trying to impress you yeah. um it's nice sometimes us to read something that's a bit more raw and that's and true. honest it's it's really, really important mm-hmm. have you kind of got the bug with writing is there something in the future like what's your
1: yeah, you're thinking I'm really, now i'm really excited actually now because you know um now i'm thinking you know millennials like now i want to focus on the generation after the millennials so i want to yeah, really yeah. focus now on gen y um, so I was doing some reading actually about that. and um and also thinking about the future workplace and how I can um, kind of you know how to create a future workplace, which is really, again, based on that demographic, which that's gonna be the new demographic. Um, so I was really thinking about how to how to move this project forward. So this is just something I got an idea like in the last weeks. Um go so, to yeah. TikTok
0: and see what see what they're doing.
1: Yeah, but I'm really I find it really interesting because I'm yeah, so into this whole generation generational differences and cultural differences. I love that. So
0: the cultural differences is really yeah. like something that really interests me as well. Is yeah. to find out how other cultures manage
1: mm-hmm. not
0: only their relationships from a family perspective, because obviously everything starts from the yeah. family. Like yeah. you can't analyze a society without looking at about how each individual culture in like sees society, uh, sees um, the family and and how important that is. I mean, you look at a country like Japan, who put so much respect That's on the family, good. and then you look at how they handle people in the workplace. I mean, there's no doubt that that is linked
1: exactly it all translates actually it's true
0: definitely um which countries do you find if on that aspect which countries do you find manages the workplace better than others
1: mm-hmm. i don't know
0: how many how how much experience you have i know that you you were originally from lebanon is that correct yes. yeah that is correct. um how do you think different cultures manage the workplace differently and
1: I mean I think Lebanon is is a mess but (laughs) but I can't say in terms of the working environment as you as you actually just rightly said because their attitude is is more relaxed and they're more like oh let's do this tomorrow and you know they're very Mediterranean and this Mediterranean translates so much into the way that they do business which is let's just take it easy if it doesn't work today it'll work tomorrow it's actually a bit unreliable and it's, it's And it's a very stark contrast to Austria, you know, where I live. Mm. Because in Austria, you know, it's this Germanic culture, which is all about, um, you know, everything is like on time. Everything is right. Everything is deadline. So it's really interesting for me always to see how both both of these, um, you know, countries operate. Um, But I think that... um, I mean, of course, American companies, you know, they're all about money. They're, they're about making money. They're about the bottom line. Um, they are, I think, very advanced in the way they treat their um, employees as well. But I still think that the UK actually um, does that well, too. But I think the I UK think, is quite advanced as well. Yeah, in, I mean, from
0: of, observing you know, it from, their, from the,
1: how, how they deal with the workforce yeah. and, and things like that
0: yeah, from observing it, obviously, you've studied it at depth, so you would have seen from each individual country that does it. But like for me, as someone has a study. I feel like the u k has an upper hand in the fact that it is so multicultural because it is a mixing pot of different yeah. cultures that you almost you almost have to adapt and have to create this environment where it's so inclusive and it so allows for everyone. Mm-hmm. On the American front, do you think it's interesting the fact that, You say that they are quite open to the workforce and stuff but they still do have like workers rights where you can like fire people and they don't have that much holiday as as general compared to other countries do you think it's just the big companies that are really good and everyone's just so far behind them
1: I think so. And also because to be honest, my experience has been mainly in international development um, in, in these companies. So it's more like World Bank, IMF, I, IFC. So And these, of course, are very advanced. So I would say these are really like probably the top of how they treat people yeah. and how and, and what they offer. And they definitely don't have the 10 days, of, uh, you know, working uh, holidays a year. Or any, no, yeah, they're very advanced. Um, but yeah, I, of course, other companies and whatever, I think, you know, small to mid-sized, they probably are completely different so and and you know this is it's just way to generalization this is really mm. like i'm generalizing a lot right now but um but you know for example companies like huge companies like GE or, or whatever they 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 were doing remote working right since 20 years so yeah. you know it's like it's just a different way I think but I definitely think the big companies are are probably ahead of the ahead of the game
0: oh, ahead of the curve yeah I think they have yeah. to be though because they're trying to attract yeah. the top talent that's exactly. the thing when you're trying to top, attract the top talent all the time yeah. you have to be on it with not yeah. only that your techno- technological infrastructure but you have to be on the openness to everyone because if you're yeah. an international company you have to be open to everyone regardless of their their background so oh, totally. Totally. yeah i mean my experience from from working for the public sector although it was although it was a public sector i feel like they were very inclusive to mm-hmm. everyone who 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 came in there and, and that's really important yeah, totally. how are you going to go about studying the the gen y cuz like for me like i look at my cousins, for instance, who are younger yeah. than me and I, I don't get the world that they live in <laughs> and they're not even that much younger than I am. And I'm like, how am I going to go about not only establishing a, like a, an effective relationship with them, but like if, for instance, in the future, um, I have to manage them, how am I going to go about them? Because their world changes on a daily basis. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I think, you know, whatever the millennials are right now, the the, the Gen Y is going to be like double in a way more complex you know like if you guys are digital natives they're gonna be they are the digital natives Yeah, yeah um and also they are like when i was reading about them, they are the diverse um they're the most like diverse generation that we're gonna have and they believe in diversity and they believe in impact and they believe in meaningful things and purpose so um I don't know how i'm going to go about actually because you know also the age groups i think they're from eight to 20 now or something like that so i mean i'm not going to ask an eight-year-old what <laughs> what what he believes <laughs> I,
0: I don't know he might say something impactful
1: maybe maybe but i was thinking you know data protection i don't think i can talk to no. <laughs> eight <either, so. laughs> i don't think so. so i was thinking maybe uh just to kind of question like the 18 to 20 year olds or i don't know yet exactly how but i think it's really about the characteristics it's not so much about the workplace it's more about finding out their characteristics and how they function. And when you find out how they function, then you can actually accommodate them in the workplace because then you can change policies or whatever to accommodate them. So, yeah. That
0: might, might be quite interesting actually to have a look at them pre workplace, see what the characteristics are, see what experience they went through and see how that changed them. Exactly. Cause then you can, then you can, instead of focusing in the workplace, you can maybe focus in school. Cause
1: exactly. I don't
0: think, I don't think enough done in school to get you ready for the workplace. Oh,
1: that's, that's true. That's for sure.
0: Like I think for instance I need to see a big overhaul in letting getting people and kids ready, not only from university, but obviously from school to get them ready for the workplace. Because not everyone goes to university. Yeah, yeah. And getting getting those skills then and, and ready. Um we've probably got another sort of just under ten minutes. But yeah. I wanna I wanna talk more about the the leaders who you look up to in you you know you reference Richard Branson, you mentioned Phil Jackson as people who obviously the books that you've liked and yeah. and and leaders that you you look up to. what are the characteristics specifically that you think make someone have the most impact as a leader? Not maybe not someone who, for instance, is the best with the emotional intelligence, but the one that actually has the most impact on an organization or
1: you know, I, am really a big fan of like more humble leaders, like people who are not so full of themselves and know that they're good, but people who really take a step back and kind of push others. I mean, they might like, they push others to do better and to lead and to kind of, uh, they, they, like they stay in the background and they push others in the foreground because they want to support and develop their people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, but they still have an overview of everything that's happening and they are still the ones in charge, but they, you know, it doesn't show and it's not so obvious. And I think that is a really good way of leading um, because, you know, you get the job done really well. Plus you create so much trust with the people around you because, you know, you're not doing anything for the glory or for being the best, but you're really doing something because you're supporting people and Mm -hmm. you're believing in others. And I think this is the best way to leave, lead. So really like more of a humble, uh, leadership, and actually, there's so many books right now. I think on servant leadership and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's that's really, I think, the, the the style that that I personally like.
0: Yeah, I mean, with uh...
1: humor, you know, like humble with humor. Somebody who doesn't take themselves too seriously, who and who's who has no problem, and when they don't know something, to ask for help. Like mm-hmm. you know, just because you manage doesn't mean you know everything. No, mm-hmm. like many times I've seen people, you know, like even my boss's boss. Um, be like oh can you help me out with this because I'm not sure I understand this I mean I think that's great it's not a sign of weakness at all I think it's a sign of strength when you ask for help from other people unfortunately it's not seen like that in many places it's always like you know to be a great leader you have to be aggressive you have to be strong you have to show who's the boss yeah I think that is very old school and I think that the newer way of leading especially for people like millennials and probably jen Y later is is this kind of leadership you know you're there but you're in the background but you're giving other people the opportunity Mm. to
0: shine i think yeah i think that vulnerability is really important to build trust i think in the in the book you talked about how uh, showing your weakness is not actually weakness in itself it's a strength yes and i think that's really important because i Mm. think when you go into an organization you don't want the leader to be like i'm the leader i'm at the top i know everything because if if for instance i've had the experience you go into a meeting and they're like you know what i don't actually know this but i know he knows that and then they explain it or they they know it better than i do i'll let them explain it kind of thing because it's like you're acknowledging not only the fact that you don't know anything or the fact that you're allowing that person the ability or knowledge that they actually know they actually know a lot so it it, it builds that confidence within them which i think is really important
1: totally You know i've been i've been in meetings before where for example i was there with my boss and and like she would turn to turn to me and say oh why doesn't why doesn't rani explain this she she knows this better than i do and i think you know it's something that's said so meaning it doesn't really take much to say something like this but actually it makes the person feel so like okay you know i do know this and she has confidence in me and you know she's supportive of me and and I think that's really good. And although I know that she knows everything.
0: Anyway, yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. it's
1: a way of, it's a way of like making other people shine. And I think as yeah, a leader, by the way, one of the most important things as a leader is to make others shine.
0: Yeah. yeah, you I know? think, I think that's really important, especially people starting out or even people, yeah. you know, down the road, if, if they, exactly. if they, if they, if they have the knowledge, I think you need to acknowledge that they have the knowledge exactly. Exactly. instead of, instead of sort of playing that one down. Mm-hmm. um on the leadership i mean my my brother and i talk about this is you you talked about like the humble leaders and i always kind of think about like the biggest business person in the moment is is jeff bezos but you never hear anything about jeff bezos it's one of those things where he's just running it and he's running it well and he probably has amazing people around him but there's there's no like bells and whistles he's not like elon musk tweeting about you know (laughs) everything and anything Exactly. I, I, I mean think,
1: that's so true. Yes, I mean, and he runs like probably it's it's a billion billions of dollar company. Oh, I think and,
0: it's in the trillions now, isn't it? Oh
1: my god, yeah. You know, apparently, like they had to recruit I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people during this time now <laughs> just to keep up with the demand.
0: I know, it's crazy.
1: Crazy, but yeah. So this is the kind of leadership that I think is really important, and these are the kind of people I would love to work for actually, because I think that you could learn so much than somebody who's all like puffed up and you know me me me.
0: Yeah. I think, I think those people kind of get found out after a while though, don't they? Yeah. They, yeah. they definitely get found out. Anyway, this has been great. Thank you oh, so I much for I your know. time. Thank you so much for explaining the book, everyone. The book is The Chameleon Leader and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And um, Thank you. do you have any sort of closing words for anyone who wants to know more, not only about the book, but also about perhaps becoming a better manager or leader?
1: Well the first thing i would say is please do the self assessment <laughs> it is really it is really interesting because even when i did it by the way there's a lot of things actually that i learned about myself so i think it's a really it's a good thing to to reflect and to think about your strengths and weaknesses anyway so i would do that and um i'm always happy if if anybody would reach out and uh, tell me what they what what their thoughts are
0: yeah yeah definitely i know i know you've got some good feedback on on the uh... On the bookstagram world, so uh, so that's great, and and I look forward to reading that that next book, the the Gen Y books. So. I'll, I'll, I'll probably over. need it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for this great uh, interview and this chat, and um, yeah, I hope we will speak soon again. Yeah,
0: definitely. Thanks very much okay. for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Take Thanks. care. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.